Hey, this is John Willis again, another um, uh, profound, Deming Profound podcast. Um, I've got a, another really cool guest today. You know, we uh, it's kind of cool. We worked together and then we sort of found each other working together. I don't think we knew each other before Red Hat. And uh, it's just one of those guys you have, like, like we tried at least a week or every other week, try to have a call together, just talking about really cool stuff. And then I realized, oh, why don't we record some of this? So, Tom, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so I'm Tom, Tom Geraghty. I'm currently uh, Transformation Lead in Europe for Red Hat Open Innovation Labs. Um, I've, uh, I'm have i I'm a proper geek when it comes to psychological safety. I was sort of introduced to it a few years back. But um, uh, yeah, I've been a sort of in technology all, of, well, all my career and, uh, and spent quite a number of those years in tech leadership roles and learning how uh, how important psychological safety is to uh to performance and and well-being and uh and humanity yeah totally you know i get um so you think i always like to start off the conversation with and you know and we've had some conversations sometimes i'll talk to somebody and i'll like I don't want to make them feel like they need to be an expert on Deming, but, you know, um, so I, I usually sort of like ask people just, okay, you know, here, you know, carte blanche, what are your thoughts about Deming? But we, we've had enough conversations where you've told me some cool stories about like, Hey John, have you seen this? Have you heard that? Um, so I'll go right to a sort of a deeper core question. Like Tom, what do you think Deming's impact is to you? Um, you know, all of what we do in it and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, what you know about it and what, why do you think, you know, I know why it's important. I'm pretty sure you know, like, why is he important? Why should we be having a conversation about this guy? So that's, that's really cool. I, I so the, the kind of weird way that I got introduced to Deming um, was, so I was, so many years ago, I did a, I did an ITIL, you know, ITIL training course, like, and, um, and and strangely, yeah, and got introduced to the to the Deming cycle, or the PDCA cycle, or rather, mm-hmm. you know, the PDSA cycle or Schuert cycle or whatever it is. Right. Um, and and um, and that, so that was the first time I was kind of like this was really early on in my career, and it's the first time I was introduced to sort of the, the feedback loops like that. And um, and and I thought this is really cool, and uh, and it was introduced to Deming, so sort of opened that door. Um, and then discovered everything else. Well, not everything else that Deming did, but like all the all the cool stuff that, that Deming was doing. And that's where I found. So I came across the system of profound knowledge, and that was the point where sort of the the light bulb moment where because Deming talks about appreciation for a system and variation and knowledge and psychology, and it kind of and and what I what I really liked was Deming's the the, the systems thinking approach of Deming, but, and, and, and Deming espousing how important it was to understand the system, but not just, not just a system like a machine, not just a system like a series of processes and components, but, but the psychology and the sociology of people involved in the system, and they are part of the system. So you, you kind of can't take psychology out of it. That's what I think is, is super powerful about Deming's approach, maybe compared to sort of, you know, previous approaches like, Taylor or, or, or you know stuff like that, which kind of just, or at least my impression is anyway, kind of looked at work and systems without the without so much of the human element. Holistic, yeah. You know, it's funny. I was, um, you know, obviously most people at this point know I'm writing a book about Deming, and and you know, it, it's at some point, you know, uh, you know, sort of Senge's fifth discipline, and you know, it was like, oh, I I didn't really get it. The fifth discipline. It's really four disciplines with the fifth. And, uh, you know, and I, so, and I've been starting to think about like, if I could interview Dr. Deming right now, would appreciation, would it be the basic, the three pillars of profound knowledge with the appreciation of system being the fourth, you know what I mean? I, I remember, yeah. and if, you know, somebody made a comment to me, like every other one was theory and that one was appreciation of systems, but I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you think about mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think um, like what so so what I like is that is that Deming so Deming talks about the system and then uh, but but he turns it into a really actionable like these like these the things to do like it, it wasn't just a theorist 
like you're kind of alluding to, I think, like he wasn't just talking about the theory and the, uh, uh, but but he but he was talking about how to do it and and how to do it in really actionable ways that that apply to like anyone anyone can take on and anyone can read like his fourteen points and 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 probably identify like uh, probably at least ten of them that they right. could do better or, or or you know start doing that impact you like oh my god yes that's I believe that I I do that yeah. I need to do it better yeah totally yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um it, it makes it so. Deming makes leadership and management so much more accessible than than so many other approaches. Like even his books, you know, they're, they're pretty easy to read compared to a lot of those sorts of books. So um, yeah, and this is this is where like the like Deming's point eight is drive out fear, isn't it? So right. that was you know that's that one uh, that one hit home with you. That, that's the one that hits home, and I think I, I mean. I'm 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 always interested as to how I, I don't really know why or how he ordered those fourteen points or if they are in any sort of particular order. I, I I'm interested. I, I'd be really what I'd love to ask him is why is that like halfway through? Why is it right in the middle? Yeah, um, that's a good one. Yeah, why is that one right in the middle? Right, is was there? I I did find some stuff. I'm not going to be sort of writing about it, but that the, there was some like writings that he had which were those ideas that weren't codified as fourteen points. So that that's a good question. I'm going to go back and try to see if there's any insight to his, the things that he wrote that turned into his yeah out of a crisis book, which had the mm. you know, codified 14 points. But that's a good that's a really good question. Like if you knew that was part a big part of his you know the way he thought, right? Um, you know. Yeah, because there's he makes a, he makes another point, doesn't he? Where there's fear, there are wrong figures, or where there are fear, there will not be. Sorry. honest figures and um and that, and that's an absolutely crucial point because like we talk about like understand variation you can't like there's no point in trying to understand variation if the source of the figures is is not correct in the first place um and you, you know you can either you can rely on a machine but at some point some human's going to get hold of that and and if they're incentivized or fearful then because he talks about incentives a lot as well doesn't he Don't yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i really like his that, that's yeah. time to it's again i love doing these podcasts because like all the stuff i know about them then i just hear it just a little bit different way and you know it's kind of interesting that it, it maybe it was obvious to everybody else except me the deming expert but it is the the um the fear and the incentives are both his dislike for the same reasons yeah that the fear drives behavior that might not be the optimum behavior and the incentives you know he hates mbos drive behavior that might not be the optimal behavior, right? So yeah. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think it's interesting uh, because it's, so if 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 we look at like if we consider the psychological safety, because like I don't think Deming ever used the term, maybe even never came across the term psychological safety. Like he knew about fear, he, he fundamentally understood it, right. but I don't think he ever like used the term. And, no, I'm sure he didn't. Of course, you know that. I mean. I don't know where that, maybe you can educate or where that first come out. I would assume it came out from maybe the Google rework stuff, but I don't, I don't even know that. Well, yeah. So, so this is, this is kind of what's interesting. So the first, as far as we know, like as far as we can tell, the term was first used in 1965. Oh, wow. by two, Yeah. To two researchers called Shine and Bennis, who were, they were studying um, organizational change, like how to, how to uh, approach organizational change. And, <clears throat> and they, they, they used, but it was a bit of an aside. They, they, caught, they, they brought up psychological safety. They created this term um, as a um, as a way to help people adopt change in an organization. Um, and then I think it kind of went like nothing happened for about mm -hmm. maybe twenty years. Wow. 20, 30 years. Um, then I got, um, someone called Khan. I think William Khan did some research with. Uh, summer camp counselors in the eighties, oh, wow. and um, and highlighted that, that psychological safety was a um, was a means to improve communication and collaboration and stuff. And it was only in nineteen ninety nine, then. So this is where Amy Edmondson comes along. She did her research into clinical teams, and this is th th this is where it is, for me this is where it gets really interesting because Amy Edmondson was studying. So she was um, at Harvard at the time. She was studying the difference between high performing and low performing clinical teams and i, I think 
the the you can tell the difference between high performing and low performing clinical teams quite you know more easily than maybe in other realms because people die or don't die. Right. So more people survive. The consequences, yeah. Could, yeah. 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 So and what she so she was studying these 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 differences and, and she found that the high performing teams made more mistakes than the low performing teams. And and that of course doesn't that doesn't on face that doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, I understand that she so I believe that she initially thought the data was transposed the wrong way. Um, but but it wasn't, it was correct data. And so she she did some more research and found that the high performing teams were admitting their mistakes and the low performing teams were hiding theirs. And of course, this is wow. where there is fear, you don't get honest figures. Um and and of course that makes sense, doesn't it? Because the low performing teams we're going to keep making the same mistakes. They have more pressure, over. right? Because they're, yeah. you know, they're the ones, why are you guys not be like the high performing team? Yeah. 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 And the high performing teams are able to service their mistakes, have yeah, have their ideas. Right. And right. Time. So they're not going to keep on making the same mistakes. Um, but this, so, so Amy, this is fantastic research and it kind of, and Amy can t- continue to, to do research into in psychological safety over the next few years. But yeah, you're right. It wasn't until Google's project Aristotle in I think 2013, mm-hmm. that um, that it that it sort of blew up a bit because that was when, and again, as is for, as far as I understand, um, they were looking at so they were looking at again like what makes a high performing team. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and they found these four factors in there: the, the um, clarity, dependability, meaning, and impact. Probably not in that order, right? Uh, but. Um, but they and when they had those four those four factors, they knew. But they so teams that scored high on all those four factors, there was still big variation between different teams. So they knew something something was missing. Something there was still some other factor. And someone found Amy Edmondson's paper from 1999. Oh, really? Oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah, they measured psychological safety using the same scale that that Amy used in in 99. And that was how they found psychological safety as the as like the, the foundation. The answer, right? Like the, the, the Amy version when I throw up a PowerPoint slide and say that re, the rework or the paratactic Aristotle is they were asking question, which makes a great team. Um, you know, second bullet item on the slide, the answer is psychological safety. Next topic. But like I yeah. love that, you know, like you've given me a d- much deeper history than tying it to the researcher. Yeah. Yeah, and, as I, and this is what I find interesting because this is the, like, we all, I think we all fundamentally know, we like, we understand innately that psychological safety, whatever we want to call it, like absence of fear or absence of interpersonal fear, rather, we should, because we should talk about that it's not absence of fear, fear, but it's the absence of interpersonal fear. Um, it's fundamentally, uh, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so the way, so this is and you see i'm coming across this more and more where um people are uh, there's a there's almost a pushback against psychological safety in like some corners of 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 the industry of the world um because and 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 fundamentally it's because of a misperception or misunderstanding of what psychological safety is so psychological safety in fact this is from amy amy's paper um it's a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas questions, concerns, or mistakes. Notably, like there are th- certain things that aren't included in that. So it's not like political beliefs or or, or insults or something like that. You know, it's um, so it's it's an absence of interpersonal fear. It's, it's knowing that the, it, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a surety confidence that the people in the group that you're that you're with won't uh, embarrass you or humiliate you or hold things against you for for presenting your idea or admitting a mistake or asking for help. Um, and the the analogy I like to use is is of like a mountaineering team, like a, like a mountaineering team ascending K two in the winter. Like K two kills something like a third of the people that try to try to summit it. And um, so a mountaineering team trying to climb K two, a strong team. They all possess incredibly high levels of psychological safety because they know that each other member of the team has their back. They're looking out for each other. If someone puts their hand up and says, "I'm struggling," or "or uh, I've hurt myself," or "I've got an idea," or "I've made a mistake," or whatever, 
they're not going to hold it against them. They're going to do something about it. They're going to work together as a team to achieve the thing they're trying to do. But there's there is massive existential fear. Like if there's a team of six of them, chances are two of them are going to die. Yeah. Like there's it, it, a huge existential fear. But the but the reason they're one of the reasons, along with expertise and and drive and stuff, one of the reasons they're able to get to the top of that mountain and get back down again is because they possess a great deal of psychological safety within that group. I I love that, you know, like, like even sort of our sort of relationship, we didn't know each other probably six months ago. Right. Mm. And, um, you know, in, in like right off the bat, like I didn't have to explain my resume to you every time we talk. Right. And I find that a lot of times when you sort of meet people, they're like, especially if they feel a little intimidated to, like you'll waste like if you got like 30 minute conversation with them, like the first five meetings, they'll say, you know, I went to such and such thing and I did this. And they're really trying to assure you that there should be part of that conversation. Yeah. The thing I love is when you can get to the level of working with people where the assumption is you a already know this. B, you're not going to say, you know, you're not going to say, you know, whatever you say has validity because you like, there's a trust level of mm. like, like he wouldn't like, if he, it's like, um, I was telling somebody earlier about working with Jabe, right? Jabe Bloom, who I work with, like, you know, Jabe has this phenomenal thing. Like if you say something to him and you know, he doesn't disagree, the first thing he'll say is, you know, why do you think that John? <laughs> right. Which means that, like, he wants to know first. I mean, he's pretty sure he's right and I'm wrong, right? And in most cases, that is the way it is. <laughs> but, uh, but, but he wants to basically so he he's giving you such a level of, re- and it's not even respect; it's a working dialogue. That, yeah. like, he, like he, like he, he, like instead of just like you know that's wrong. I don't. But I, I love that part of. Uh, working relationships you know when you get into those you know to me it would be the high performing scenario yeah yeah. so yeah yeah and and i i I love that you mentioned trust as well actually because because trust is a massive part of it it's a massive part of it and in fact psychological safety is often confused a little bit with trust um but and and there's some there's some interesting aspects to trust as well because there's two there's like two components to trust depending on what model Use. There's, there's cognitive trust and effective trust. Um, and, and in order to, to have like deep trust and, and a high-performing team and psychological safety, you've got to have both. Cognitive trust is about trusting that someone is capable and in, like intelligent if they have the knowledge and skill. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Trusting them to do the thing. Right. And effective trust is trusting in them to do the right thing and to like act uh it, it, it ethically um ah, okay yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah. In, in choice so so yeah yeah so effective trust is like choice choosing to do the right thing cognitive trust is, is ability and 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 of course you're not going to achieve really anything or as a team if you don't have both those degrees of trust in people um which i i think is a super powerful way of looking at trust and sort of that component of psychological safety yeah um there's, 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 yeah, there is a lot of confusion between sort of trust and, and psychological safety and the way, you, because you, um, trust is like, I can trust a person to do a thing or that I can trust that they will do the thing. Um, where psychological safety is like a, it's almost like the mirror image of that in a group. It's, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. trusting that the other members of the group trust you. Yeah. You know, I, I remember John Osbar one time had said um, he was talking about Etsy, you know, when he worked at Etsy and they would say that um, he, he, I think two stories that I, I love one, which was if they found that everybody was in violent agreement, that was actually a checkbox of like a, a stopping or a yeah. gate that had to be like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, this. And then um, he, he tells this other like really cool story that I heard in one of his presentations, you know, and I love John Ospar to, to death. And um, he said that, you know, they had this scenario where they were doing a retrospective of something that happened, an incident or something. And some junior person said, um, oh, you know what? We don't have to go. I know exactly what I did wrong. I'm going to go and fix it. And they're like, 
No, that's not how it works. So it isn't not just blame, like you, you like you can't even take. Blame. And and he was like, no, 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 look, trust me, I know that, I, I know exactly what it is. We can move on. I, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And, and like, no, no, no. And they they went through the sort of rhythm of a retrospective. Turns out he was wrong. What he thought yeah. was the uh, the problem wasn't really the problem. And and again, so it's what it's it's sort of it's sort of like I said earlier about like sort of Deming and and uh, like the, it, his uh, sort of uh, fear and and motivation are both the same problem in, in in sort of psychological safety or, or sort of you know uh, postmortems or retrospectives like blame is bad and accepting blame is bad. <laughs> they're they're yeah, equally yeah. the same problem, right? So. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I, I think that that's a really super powerful point. There's in fact, there's, God, there's so much to unpack there as well, because... Ha! I give you uh, some uh, unpacking to do. There you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, cause there's, if, if you've got violent... Yeah, violent agreement is is a bad sign. Like, everyone just, just sort of cohering towards that. that right. Like, because that's the easy, low-friction kind of um end result of that of that meeting or whatever um silence like the opposite of that is you know, absolute silence is also a bad sign because that means well it might mean that people don't speak up i actually think there's actually thinking in in really in groups where you've got high degree of psychological safety you actually will end up with periods of silence but periods of that sort of comfortable silence where people are where people are given the space to sort of cogitate and think and mm-hmm. and people don't feel the need to try and fill this uncomfortable void uh, of silence that you get in uh, in other 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 situations i think the, the so in tech particularly in the tech industry actually although this extends to loads of other realms as well where there is a um uh, where there exist practices of retrospectives or debriefs and they exist in different ways in aviation or medicine or in tech but we're kind of all doing similar mm-hmm. things and and i think that's that's super it's super powerful like the 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 addressing of psychological safety and understanding of psychological safety as a um fundamental um platform for blameless these post-mortems retrospectives mm-hmm. um, is, is absolutely essential. And because like you were saying, this is, this is trying, I'm trying to get back to the point you were originally saying. So even though someone might think, yeah, I look, I know what was wrong. I'm going to go fix it. First of all, like you say, that might not be the actual thing that was wrong. That's right. Second of all, the most important thing about, that learning is not that person knowing what was wrong and going and fixing it, but it's 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 allowing it's an organizational learning and allowing everyone else to learn from that mistake. It's like um, um, I can't remember the the phrase, but the it's like pulling the andon cord is a gift. It's considered a gift That's right. to to the organization because otherwise you're you're hiding something. You're yeah. hiding self. Yeah, yeah, Rafa, you're hiding, like, you're, yeah, Mike Rafa in Toyota says that. Um, yeah, I think that's my, what you're looking for. Is I love he describes that that you know the first thing the floor manager would do in Toyota when when the end our car and and just be clear, I have people like you know the end our car didn't know what to stop line. I know that. <laughs> I, okay, calm down. I know that. <laughs> um, but let's just say there was a point at which it stopped and it became sort of an incident. Like you're building 2,200 cars a day, <laughs> 3,000 cars a day, and like you know in in sort of a, a Western like why did you stop? But but Rata said that um, in his Toyota Kata, when he observed was the first thing the floor manager would come to you and say, thank you. They didn't even ask what the problem was. They didn't ask, like, why'd you do it? You know, uh, it was because no matter what, the fact that you pulled that and on cord created a learning opportunity. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, exactly. And no, and it's not just a learning opportunity for for you, for you it's that it's the learning opportunity for everyone involved it's right, it's right. um so like and this is sometimes a way to to frame it better like but by not admitting mistakes or by not asking for help you're you're being selfish and 
like yes we need to build the environment we need to build the conditions in which psychological safety can exist we can't just we can't just say you must admit your mistakes or else because that's not yeah that's not going to work either um and it's not the humane thing to do um but i do but it is useful it's, it's useful to to remind everyone uh, you know remind us all that that uh, highlighting opportunity for improve for improvement uh a gift to everyone and yeah. not just in the organization but to our sort of customers and the people who benefit from our organization as well so here's the hard stuff right so um you know i, I one time we, i was in this panel um and we were talking, it was a security thing in this panel and Equifax came up and we talked about, you know, sort of executive transparency and, you know, all, you know, that. And so as I was, you know, and I made this like, well, or, or, no, you should be, you know, transparency and transparent, right. You know, you know, as I are, I, I'm not a blowhard, but I, I do tend to pontificate, you know, I, I, and as we're walking off, I'm coming down the hallway. It was at DevOps Enterprise Summit, actually. This guy grabs me and he says, hey, John, you got a minute? I'm like, yeah. He's like one of the early fellows at American Express, right? And like, okay, I like, I want to hear what you have to say. You're like, like, you're like one of the first fellows or second or third fellows at American Express. You know, you've been there forever. He said, I heard what you said there, but I can tell you right now that the um, CEO of American Express is not going to get on CNBC admit and a mistake like they're like it's just not that simple right yeah, yeah. like you know like because you have like these legal implications and so so what are your thoughts about those complex scenarios where you're in the ideal and and i think in the end i think we would both agree and i think most would listen that if you were to sort of give way to that and we could cite examples the paul o'neill stuff but mm-hmm. um if you give way to that idea it's going to be better but yeah. like that idea, like, yeah, you know, good luck, kid. I got to run a, I got to run America's Express. What, I mean, what do you think about it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, to my mind, like I, I fairly strongly believe, or at least, so I haven't yet come across a disaster or, you know, something that's gone big, a large thing that's gone wrong, um, an incident or disaster or whatever that hasn't had a lack of, psychological safety somewhere fundamentally in its set of core okay core components, right um like if you look at everything from yeah equifax uh to uh, the volkswagen emission scandal to um chernobyl and Nagasaki train crash challenger and columbia disasters and um even the like global financial crisis um like there, somewhere along the line, there, someone either made a mistake and didn't put their hand up and said and say, "Well, the, I, I made a mistake. There's something wrong," or or they or they saw something wrong and didn't didn't put their hand up and or you know didn't highlight it, or right, right. or they did, but it got blocked somewhere in the chain. You know, this, because someone further up didn't want to pass That's it on. Oh. story, right? With this, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, seven or eight, like, and I don't think they could have survived anyway. But there were like what seven or eight uh, official requests to do an inspection on a panel yeah. after liftoff, and yeah. all of them were rejected with the the classic, "We've seen this before. Don't worry about it." Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's it's all it's all it's always stuff like that. And you've got, and then and then you've got almost the converse, which is where. Uh, Admit this. Uh, I don't pretend to know exactly what happened in the Volkswagen emissions thing, but 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 we we've seen it before. You see it fairly often where a bad idea gets out into the wild, mm-hmm. and it gets out there because someone didn't, or maybe or maybe they did, but it didn't get it didn't. Well, it wasn't allowed all the way through. Someone didn't put Adam and say, "I think that's a bad idea," mm-hmm. or or you know, like it did, but it got blocked or washed like this is the, the this is the greenwashing effect isn't it when you right. see projects and program levels that are red green amber things and it you end up with all these reds down here reds and ambers and, and slowly they, they get lighter and lighter and by the time they get all the way to the top the exec is like oh yeah, this, is, this is fantastic okay. everything's going fantastically well and no one can understand why everything's going to hell but but no one's doing anything about it yeah yeah um i, I think Go on. I was going to say, Sydney Dacker, we, we did this um, 
two and a half hour panel, Gene. You know, so every once in a while, I'll throw crazy ideas at Gene. And every once in a while, I'll say, yeah, let's try that one. And so we got Sidney Decker, Richard Cook, and uh, and Steven Spear on this panel for two and a half hours. And it's, you know, for geekism, like it is, you know, I try to watch it once a year just to sort of give me, you know, sort of juice. But at one point, Gene asked Decker, like, what is your definition of sort of safety or resilience engineering? And Decker just sort of looked for a second and he said, it's being able to tell the boss bad news. Yeah. Like, yeah. wow. Wow. That's it. Yeah. You know, like, you know, yeah. So. yeah. Um, I mean, that's the, I mean, why do you think that, I mean, you know, I know the answer, but I'm, I'm playing um, sort of a podcaster. Um, why, why do you think we have such a problem with this idea? Right. Like, you know, Deming talks about it. I mean, probably most of the, you know, the, the sort of research that we love, you know, at the end of the day hovers all around this idea from Kahanahan to, you know, probably Senge to Agoff. I mean, we just got a list and like there's a there's sort of super nucleus of this idea. But but it seems to be like the majority of people in the world don't can't grasp it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got there, there are so many there are so many factors, I, I, I think. And, and Deming would certainly have something to say about education as well. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, well, like one one simple one simple way to look at it is that the is about cost, like your your own personal cost or interpersonal cost. That if if I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm and I and I can see something wrong, or I've got an idea, but it's but um, if I put that idea out there, like the the immediate cost to me is pretty high. Um, and I can easily see that cost. Like it might, it might be shot down. It might be a terrible idea. Someone might laugh at it, uh, but uh, or, or whatever. Um, the long term, the, the the benefit is 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 broader. It, it, the benefit is is sort of organizationally, and it takes much longer to realize. So, if mm, you think yeah. about it in terms of like interpersonal cost benefit, it's usually much much yeah. more cost effective to keep quiet or not. Ask and that's even if you can get your point across, right? Yeah. Like the 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 benefit cost, the um, ROI, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, exactly that. Like you've got to be given the space in order to do so. You've got to have, like, we can't admit mistakes if we don't even hold a retrospective in the first place. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and so and you see this in organisations too. Sometimes don't you? where where almost there's, there's a pressure to not even hold the space for those discussions, whether that's like ideas for improvement or um, or retrospectives or something to examine what might have gone wrong because someone somewhere doesn't want that conversation to even happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. You yeah. Know, back in the old days, you know, old, old days back when I was doing mainframe assembler coding. And um, I mean, to me, the, uh, there, were, there was never this idea of retrospectives or anything that clever. But whenever you talked about an outage or incident, like my sort of, I didn't really choke because it was true, is whoever wasn't in the meeting was the one who got blamed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember being in one meeting one time and they were going on about this guy was this company where we built some mainframe software. And, and there was this one guy who was like brilliant guy, but a wild coder. Like we've all met these kind of people, right? Yeah. And he did break a lot of stuff. So, but, and, and he was a good friend of mine and I used to get mad because everybody blamed for everything. So we're, we're having this sort of meeting about some outage that happened in our sort of development, you know, lab mainframe and took everybody down for a couple hours. And they're like, yeah, that joke, all done. He done it again. I'm like, guys, just been on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but um, what else do, do we need to know about like, you know, I think it was great. You gave you sort of a good little sort of history where it showed up, the, the research, um, and then how it sort of winds up in, in you know, so Google. I think the Google thing, the thing that fascinates me about that is it seemed like they really threw a lot at it. Like they had the sort of money, let's get anthropologists, let's get engineers, let's let's literally throw the kitchen sink at trying to ask this question. And that's probably yeah. why it's such valuable work. But like, yeah. what, else, what else do we need to know? Are there any sort of cool news stories or um, what? Yeah. So uh, I think... And this is what's kind of interesting as well that like since 
it, it, it took a while even for Google's project Aristotle to like get traction for the for that that sort of catalyzed or spawned or sort of introduced the concept to at least the tech industry. Um, but you know that was 2013, and it kind of yeah. It was still a bit of a, a sort of obscure niche subject. Yeah, a lot then. of people wouldn't even, even know about it, right? Or you're like, yeah. you're like if you mentioned, oh, what's that, right? Yeah, no, oh, yeah, yeah. And now, I think most most people, at least most people who I come across, have at least heard of the term. They might they might not understand it, might not, right, right, right. But it's 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 in the sort of common vernacular, um, and I think. Uh, because the last, I think the last three DevOps reports have of measured or, or shown psychological safety to be uh to be a fundamental enabler for so, so like like Google showed, like a fundamental foundation for high-performing teams. But the DevOps reports have sort of taken that uh out organizationally and shown that it's it drives organizational performance as well as like software delivery team performance. Um and and the if you because I keep an eye on Google Scholar, so mm-hmm. the, the number of papers that are coming through and the number of papers that are coming through on Google Scholar right now are mad. Like it's I used to be able to keep on top of it reasonably well, and now you, you just can't. That's partly because people do keyword stuffing. I think with with academic papers, yeah, 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 yeah. Common, the, you know, the, the the interesting words in there. But a lot, yeah, a lot more research is is now being thrown into the sort of the macro level effects of psychological safety in organizations sort of this is like learning organizations and this is where the field of resilience engineering yeah yeah builds sort of start to come in and these the you've got we've got these convergences of um sort of organizational dynamics and organizational psychology resilience engineering um and and other sort of fields starting to draw this together and whilst they might not always share the same language, they're talking. We're talking about the same things. We're talking about yeah. how do we learn from mistakes, learn from opportunities, adapt to change, and and, fund- and like fundamentally. And number eight, remove fear. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so much of this has been driven by 2020 and the pandemic and oh, yeah, yeah, that's a change in the way we all work. Um, and a sort of uh, a recognition that we can't just keep doing things the same old way. Like we have to, yeah. because the the things that really mess us up are the changes and incidents that we don't see coming. You don't that well. Yeah, it's that's a whole other hour discussion. But um, the 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 sort of that like that idea that you know Decker tells some great stories about like the. Um, you know, the, the the those massive drills that build tunnels uh, you know the, there was a you know like every day they'd have to start it up by jumping over into the engine and look turning some things and they'd been doing that for probably a full year every day and and just on one day it was always the wrong wrong thing to do and that one day it just happened to be the day that all the ingredients were right where somebody died right like mm-hmm. and that's the that's the thing that, that, um, you know, that part, you know, like, I, I, I don't know what the right terminology. I sometimes get yelled at. I call it a Swiss cheese model. And we're like, that, that's been proven. Like all I'm saying is it's the idea that there are certain times when something can shoot all the way through all the holes in a block yeah. of Swiss cheese that like the, that the conditions have to be perfect. You mentioned the, um, the, the, the DevOps surveys, right? The, I think another interesting thing that came in there, and actually most people don't know it actually started, John Osbaugh was the first one to talk about Ron Westrom, and you know, yeah. and then um, you know, Jez had picked that up, Jez Humble had picked that up, and then you know, so that they brilliantly rolled that into the him, him and Nicole Forsman rolled that into the the surveys, which was for the first like um, the first year that the survey was really sort of nothing. Nicole got involved, I think, in the second year uh, with Jez, and you know, they added sort of like a score based on the Ron Westrom. Uh, you know, sort of uh, bureaucratic or uh, uh, generative um, patholo- pathological, bureaucratic and generative culture, yeah. which again is all about like, like if you look at that matrix, it's all about psychological safety. It, it, it is completely. And, and, and this is what I love because, so this is where we can, and I've, I've been trying to sort of draw the, 
join the dots between Westrom's models of pathological and, and bureaucratic and generative yeah. and, and like like in pathological um, organizations, like messaging, uh, messengers are shot right. uh, and there's scapegoating and things like yeah, that. So yeah. it's like a fear-driven organization. Right. And in generative, it's a psychologically safe organization. Uh, and of course, Westrom didn't use the word psychological safety. Right. It was those fields were sort of yet to yet That's to right, join. Yeah, to, to Clyde, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I and and so Westrom's talking about the the strength of an organisation, and like Project Aristotle was talking about the strength of teams. Yeah, and um, we can start to draw that together and create yeah. models where where we where we recognise that that psychological safety across an organisation uh, drives performance and in sort of resilience engineering terms make uh, provides the conditions for resilience for adaptive right. for anticipation, detection and response to to threats and and change and improving as a result if you don't have psychological safety how are you ever going to improve as a result of some incident or something or right. pandemic yeah well so then you just made me think about like um well, which brings me way back to Senge, right? Which is sort of mental models, right? Because that's another, like, I think there's this sort of palette right, or sort of mosaic of all these things, you know, or, you know, I, at one time I, I, I was talking to uh, this woman, Helen Beale, who's just another interesting person to work with. Uh, like we started talking about, she was talking about in a presentation, holacracy, and I was talking about, you know, some of the stuff about Deming and then somebody else brought up like uh, Westrom and I thought, you know what? This is a super patent discussion that we should be having. Um, but the mental model thing is like, you know, it overlaps and intertwines all of this, right? Because that's part of our problem too, is that if we can't draw out the truth, we don't get to understand that your sort of mental model of something is completely different from mine. Well, and the truth is they're all abstractions. Yeah. But anyway, right. So, because we don't yeah. really know what, at any given time, the real truth is. That's kind yeah. of yeah. Yeah, and, and like even worse than that, if we don't, if we're not drawing out the truth, but we think we are, mm, yeah. Then we're, yeah. then we're solving a problem. We're trying to deal with something that that isn't the actual problem. And and then uh, and uh, like um, because all sport, all sport talks about this, doesn't he, with the root cause? Um, when you, th- you people think they've found the root cause that inhibits all further investigation. Right. You're like, hey, let's stop learning now. It was the opposite of what the Andor code was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Hey, why'd you stop the analog? Because that's broke. We need to fix it right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's uh yeah. that's basically root cause. Root cause like, oh man, if we only went just a few more steps deeper, we would have found out that that was not the real answer. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I know also, also, he also talks a lot about the power of conversations and <laughs> avoiding um, like a- avoiding two sort of methodological approaches to, to root, stuff like root cause analysis. And it's the conversations and perspectives of individuals involved in, in the incident or the process that really give you the, the, the deep information. And you can't do that without psychological safety. Yeah, that's the the sort of the terraformer, right? Which is yeah, but yeah. I mean, you know, me and John, like, we'll have these like insane debates, and really, mine is more about the pragmatic nature of how you have to deal with things in these large corporations. And he's always right, and I'm wrong. But I'm always like, there has to be a crawl walk run. No, John, there is no crawl walk run. You know, people die. You know, you know, not necessarily in IT, but and, 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 you know, so, I mean, he even said to me once, you know, like I'll probably get in trouble for, but like, I don't, it's just not a bad thing is he said he wished um, he'd never basically um, exposed the Ron Westrom Baltimore for the, for the reason is it's the same. It, it's like a really deep level of thinking, Dr. Woods and Richard. And they, you know, that, that I think the minute you put some type of, you know, I, I, I'm even having a hard time explaining this. I asked him what he thought about um, Kinevin. Like, I hate it. <laughs> like, how do you hate Kinevin? Like, because it it sort of puts this like box or sort of you know, and 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 like 
like okay you know let's just go with the four quadrants of uh, the whatever the you know and then that will sort of and and, and i think Canavan's brilliant stuff right stone's a, a genius but um the creator of Canavan. but but in their world richard cooking is like they don't want any boundaries they don't want any abstractions they like if you start before you get to that sort of truth you talk about and slap in some topology or like i don't know I, i'm probably not doing it justice the way john would explain it but I think you were sort of hinting on this, like we have to get to this level of communication. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where we're getting to, we're not getting to the root cause. We're not getting to the topology. We're not getting to the sort of the prescribed framework of the problem. Yeah. Those are the things that limit our learning. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this reminds me, it, it reminds me in multiple different ways about a model of a model of psychological safety called the four stages of psychological safety and it reminds me like there's you know we've Oops. We, we did, Oops. Yeah. yeah yeah we constantly got these like four things of four things like quadrants so yeah, yeah, yeah. four or seven right? yeah. everything's everything's you know everything every model seems to be broken into four things but and and so the model the four stages of psychological safety is by a guy called tim clark and and it's wrong, like it's utterly, completely wrong in so many ways. But like all, like you know, like all models are useful, but some are uh, sorry, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And this is like this is definitely useful, but it's also really definitely wrong. Yeah. And it, it but it's 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 a really interesting and useful way to look at psychological safety. Remind us. Yeah. Sometimes we need reminding that it's like not a thing that you have or don't have. It's it exists in different ways. It's got different dimensions um and so he he describes these four stages as inclusion safety learner safety and contrib- contributor safety and challenger safety and inclusion safety is sort of just safe being in the room safe being mm-hmm. present mm-hmm. but you're not going to ask anything or contribute anything at that at that stage really learner safety is sort of a bit more uh and you're able to uh ask for help Basically, essentially, you you're, uh, you you might be, you might be more inclined to admit a mistake, a small mistake, but you're asking for help. Contributor safety is where you're able, or people in the group are able to contribute their ideas mm-hmm. and suggestions for improvement. And of course, that requires a bit more safety because when you put in a you're you're putting ideas down, you're um, you're putting part of yourself out there for for critique. Um, and challenger safety is is where you're able to, everyone is able to challenge the ideas of other people in the room the way the team does things the way the organization does things and in, and even challenge the the very utmost tiers of authority so I challenge the ideas of CEO okay, yeah. and and so it's a really it's you okay, again yeah really useful model but but wrong because we don't sort of flow through these four stages. Yeah, yeah, it's not for the the minute you sort of get into deterministic flow of anything. You know, I mean, I heard Spear one time say, you know, sort of make fun of the you know the the twenty one steps to lean, right? Like, ah, no, no, no. Um, you know, but but here's the thing, I, you know, I, sometimes like I like being sort of the meat and potatoes guy of like all these deep conversations, you know, like if you don't get what that means, then like just ping me. But, but the thing I like about ontology. So like when I have these conversations with the purists, like, uh, you know, uh, I hate Simon Sinek and, and I'm like, okay, why do you hate Simon Sinek? And then, and, and and like, and then they'll explain it. And I'm like, yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, but at the same time, you know, Simon Sinek helped me understand some really interesting ways to think about that opened me up to. So, so I think there's this interesting sort of debate about, you know, and I'm not saying you are a purist or in any way, you know, but the, the sort of purist approach to the sort of the, the, the simpler ontologies of describing self. Hmm. And then once you get past that, and you consider, but then what you have to look at is, does that help, or do those things help people, sort of as an on ramp, you know? So I, I, and again, I'm not. I mean, I've had these, you know, more where, um, you know, people sort of attack out front. I'm having a great conversation with them, and I'll mention Simon Sinek, like we hate him. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know. All right, you know, let's let's like in a jabe way, like, okay, why do you think that, right? And and 
you know, and like they're wrong. Like, okay, yeah, but anyway, it's it's just um I wanted to get that out there because I do think um we have to figure out how to live with both. Like, you know, yes, yeah. and how do we help people understand, like, okay. If you read, I don't know why I picked Sinek, but because that was a recent one, but any of these things where they actually do a really good job. I mean, Deming, 14 points, right? Um, you know, like, you're like, hey, you know, like, really? There's only 14 points, you know, right? So, but but again, look what that's done to help people understand these kinds yeah. of problems. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, uh, it's, it, I mean, it comes back to all this, you know, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Like every every attempt to describe the real world in some sort of abstract or or, or simplified term is it's obviously wrong because it's simplified. That's right. That's right. Right. Uh, we and and we and we should remember that you know we're all sort of we're all on a path. We're all we're all walking the the path and living the journey, and we're at different stages along it. Like. When you're at school and you learn about, I don't know, gravity, and then if you went to university and studied physics, oh, that's wrong. Like oh, everything you learned at school about gravity is wrong. Yeah. Well, and why did you teach me? Because uh, otherwise, you otherwise you wouldn't have got to this point. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, 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 we have to be able to break down those old ideas without that's right. without kind of judging or, or or stigmatizing those 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 ideas. Like those those ideas are part of the path we're we're, we're walking to get where we are and in fact the stuff even you know the most advanced the most complex stuff we're learning right now uh, in the future our future selves will look back on that and go, yeah, that and, yeah. And, and, and you raise a good point like just in science in general right like we're never right so thinking yeah. that what we have know now is right and what we used to know is wrong like is uh you know bill bryson wrote a book about the the history of like science where i think it was a point in like the 17th century or something where they figured you know what it's done folks we don't need to learn anything more we understand everything and that's way before quantum and you know yeah. so yeah no it's a, it's a really good point right that um that the um that like yeah i i remember like I, it's been a gazillion years since i took calculus you know like um but um i remember like learning i think it was differential equations a long way like mm. and then the next like lecture was oh it's this formula You're like wait a minute like i just spent the last two nights writing out like eight pages to do this but like that's the point right like you yeah. have to know that i think that's gonna be the name of the uh i think the name of this podcast will be all models are, are wrong but some are useful so i think we're yeah. about at the top of the yeah, this was great man i like i knew like because we have great conversations just periodically but uh, this was better than i even thought it was going to be this I, this was a really fun podcast so yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate the opportunity. I, I could, uh, I, as you know, I could talk about this. We'll do this again. We, we, we yeah, will yeah, do this again. So uh, definitely. So yeah, end yeah. the blazes next time. So all right, my friend. If I don't see you over the holidays, um, you have a good one. And uh, yeah, yeah, have a have an absolutely fantastic break. It was really, yeah, it's just fantastic speaking to you. I've really enjoyed uh, all our conversations. Good fun. I'm glad we've gotten to know each other. It's been pretty fun to just be able to geek out at this level. So hopefully everybody else is having the same fun we get to have. So all right, everybody, yeah. another one in the can. Uh, DevOps, not DevOps, Deming. <laughs>